seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 10. We are nearing the end of our series as we have been looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 11, finding the foundations of the gospel itself in the early pages of Genesis. Today we are approaching the chapter often called the Table of Nations. It is another genealogy. And we've seen a few to this point in Genesis, uh, two in, in particular. However, what is before us this morning is both unique in the biblical account and from ancient Near Eastern history. This is not a genealogy of kings. It is common and um, often done that you list your rulers when they reigned and any major acts that they accomplished. This is not that. It does not mark people of high status or extraordinary social accomplishment, which is also common and can be done in a historical account such as this. No, this is a recording of heads of households and nations. It gives us a broad picture of how the earth grew into the different nations that the Old Testament records for us. And Lord willing, we will see the event that caused this dispersion next week as we look at Genesis chapter 11. But while the description precedes the event, we shouldn't cry foul. This passage is a missional tie from the curse of Ham that we saw last week and the events that follows. And it's also interesting that this passage doesn't give us dates. Um, normally, it would be appropriate in listing these uh, heads of household uh, to give the dates in which they lived. Yet, these events, or these people, rather, do give us information. There's a lot that we can take from this, and we will just scratch the surface into these people and places as described. So I do encourage you to follow along as I um, try to read through this list of names and see, in particular, if you don't stand out to you, hear these words and, and think about um, the time of the Bible. Think about the Old Testament and its history. Think about people, places, and events. And, and as you hear these names, see what comes to mind. And as we do so, I want you to ask yourself also, why are these people significant to both Israel and to us today? Because this is God's word. It is true and it is good. It is without error and it's beneficial for us. And so it's important to not ignore the context in which it was written, uh, but to also ask ourselves, what does God have for us in this passage today? With that in mind, um, please look with me as I um, turn to Genesis chapter 10. I will read uh, the whole chapter Beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth. Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, Tirez. The sons of Gomer. Ashkenaz, Ritheth. And Torgama. The sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Donanim. 
From these, the coastland people spread into their lands, each with his own language by their clan and their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Siva, Havilah, Sabta, and Ramah, and Sabtekah. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Eden. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalnath, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludum, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtahim, Pathrajim, Cashulahim, from which the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archetites, the Sinites, the Ardivites, and the Zimmerites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of Canaan dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon, the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and the Zeboim, as far as Elisha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Aser, Archbashad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Archbashad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Jobtan. Jobtan fathered Almadad, Shelef, Hazarmarveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimel, Sheba, Ophir, Havila, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Jokten. The territory in which they live extended from Misha in the direction of Sefer to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. He has promised us in his word that it will accomplish everything that he has set out for it. Let us now go to him in prayer and ask that he do that for us today in this time. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read a list of names and places, as we hear this genealogy this morning. Help us, O Lord. Help us to see the big picture represented. Help us to appreciate your promise to populate the earth, your promise to care about all peoples, and your promise, above all else, to give us the gospel message. Just as we see it in this text today, I pray that we would apply it to our lives even still. Just as this sets the stage for the narrative from here forward, I pray that it would sear itself into our hearts, that we might not sin against you, 
then we might love you all the more. Oh Lord, we ask all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. While at General Assembly this past week, we were encouraged by one of the speakers to live as though we might be in the presence of God today. The speaker exhorted us to be so full of the gospel and the implications of it that even today, even now, we would be on the edge of our seats waiting upon the fulfillment of the return of Christ. And one implication of that, we were told, is to preach and live in the presence of others with the gospel always on our mind and at the very tip of our tongue. I have spent a great deal of time this week when I had it, thinking about how I can encourage you with this passage. And more than that, how can we see the gospel in this text? Maybe many of you are very eager this morning to find out, how is he going to pull it off? Well, the good news is I'm not, because God already has. I will state it like this. The names listed and the people groups represented in the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth both directly point to the gospel and our need for it today. By considering these bloodlines, we are immediately struck with our need for God's redeeming work and His eternal plan. And further, we need to leave here this morning with both a sense of our finite nature and the eternal realities of our ultimate destination. You need the gospel today more than anything else in your life. And I've been charged to preach to you as if we will all meet him today, even this hour. And so God has prepared for us this text to do so. And I believe that through this text, looking at it in four sections, dividing it up through the children, we see God's calling for people globally, and God's calling for people uniquely. And we'll see that in four places. First, we're going to see that God calls us to think globally about family. God has the world in his scope, and we'll find that in the first verse and the last verse of this section. Secondly, we will see that God cares for the remotest nations. We find this in verses 2 through 5 the story of Japheth. Thirdly, we're warned that earthly blessings and heavenly blessings are not the same. We find this through the bloodline of Ham in the section verses 6 through 20. And then finally, we will see how God's favor should and must be our ultimate goal through verses 21 through 31. In the life of Shem. With these four driving themes before us, let us begin by considering family from a global perspective. By looking at the first and the last verse of this section, we're given four descriptors of this list as a whole. We are told these things these are the generations of the sons of Noah. In verse 32, these are the clans of Noah according to genealogies in their nations. 
generations, clans, genealogies, nations. These are big picture terms. These are broad words speaking of large groups of people and drawing us to to zoom out, if you will, and, and not think individually and specifically, but more to think collectively. And so we must do so as we approach this passage. And the first lesson we must come to terms with as we look at this passage with that perspective, that full zoomed out lens, is God thinks and we must think globally about family. Think about it. Everyone listed in this list would have been directly related to Shem, Ham, or Japheth and indirectly related to one another. All of them. Or to say it differently, everyone here is a descendant of Noah. They can all point to Noah as a grandfather or an uncle. Now, even before we unpack any of the specifics of this text, think about that for a moment. Family is very important, and we often create special situations, special circumstances when we're dealing with family. We're raised to look after family. We have family gatherings, family reunions to keep in touch with other family. Many of you vacation with family. In fact, many of you, ourselves included, when we vacation, point ourselves toward family. We have a loyalty and duty to our families. It's kind of innate to us. It's, it's kind of birthed in us. Now take that feeling and apply it to this scene here. Everyone alive is your family. And I mean literally everyone on the earth you are related to. All of them, even though they went their separate ways and developed unique identities. How would your interactions change with people you saw on the street, if you could say without a shadow of a doubt, they were family, they were blood. Would it make you more patient, more forgiving, more loving? Wouldn't you, to a greater degree, seek to understand them before jumping to conclusions? Wouldn't you take more time to work things out and be less rash? Of course you would. And while this is the literal understanding of this text, we have to remember that we as the body of Christ also are called to this degree of family. We share a bloodline with people throughout the world, throughout the nations, throughout history. We are called brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to love one another as our neighbor, which is to love others as ourself. This passage is a great reminder of this truth for us. Even this week, as we debated issues with strong opinions, I found myself asking God to remind me that the people we were debating with are brothers. I felt anger rise at certain points in the debates, and my blood pressure was going up, and I had to stop and pray, Lord, help me be loving right now to those people that I disagree with. And it was only because I had read this passage this week that I was able to do that. Only because God, through this text, had me looking broader and more globally, was I able to, Lord, help me right now be loving, even in disagreement. That's what understanding things in a family perspective, in a global perspective, does for us. And we should treat everyone that way, whether we know them to be family or not. 
And let me just say anecdotally, brothers and sisters, this will revolutionize how people see you. This will revolutionize how people relate to you. I'm telling you, you start treating people like this and they're going to ask you why, to which you can then respond with the gospel. This is one of the most proven ways to share the gospel with someone. Love them as if they don't deserve it, or love them as if they do deserve it, even if they don't. And I guarantee you they'll ask you why. Every time. Why? Why? And then that's when we interject the gospel. This will, uh, this will affect how you pray. This will affect how you see missions. This will affect every part of your daily life. And I, I, I pray for each one of us, myself chief of all, that we never get into a, a, a mental state where we can't get outside our immediate circle. Because there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are all around the world living and worshiping this day who need our love and care. And we get in a lot of trouble when we forget this. As does many in the biblical text. And so first and foremost, we are reminded to be globally minded about family. Secondly, we see that God does too. God is globally minded about family, even to the remotest nations. Look with me at our second section, verses 2 through 5, to see this. We begin by, um, this section by looking at the line of Japheth, mentioned first in the list, the least amount of uh, words used to describe his bloodline. And yet what we see here is they are defined by being scattered to the coastlands. And so what you need to put before you, and I encourage you to do this this afternoon or sometime this week, go home and uh, look for an ancient Near Eastern um, map. Or if you, you have the, um, the Reformation Study Bible, there is one included in Genesis chapter 10 uh, that will chart these out for you. And you need to see these not only as peoples, but as nations. Because remember, these, a lot of those names, you recognize them as nations. Uh, but these are peoples, people groups. And so you have to put the dots on the map to start connecting the picture. And, and for Japheth, those dots would be the furthest spread out. They would be on the perimeter. These would have been the nations that were the farthest away from Israel. This specific phrase to the coastlands in the Bible will actually come to refer to Gentiles. It will, will come to those who are far off, those who are outside of the city, the people of God. And we can find this in several places. And when we do, we, we actually find that God is still present and active in their lives. We could go to Isaiah 42. The first four verses read this. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, being Christ. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Jesus will bring both justice to the nations and his law to the coastlands. These people scattered the farthest away 
will hear of God's law and will long to place it in their hearts and trust in him and receive him. God cares about the farthest people groups. We could go to Jeremiah and and kind of see the inverse of this passage. Jeremiah, specifically Jeremiah 25, the coastlands are again mentioned, but this time saying they will not escape the judgment of God. They will be held to account for their rebellion of God and their turning away from His law. So we see that His law has been placed in their hearts. They have been given that law. They have been given that truth. And yet God will call them to task for ignoring it. But again, showing that the coastlands are in mind. That the totality of the people are in consideration this language here would be language that to the Jewish, many of the Jewish people, it would encompass everyone. When you spoke of nations, when you spoke of the coastlands, the farthest people, you were speaking of all they knew, the totality of the earth. One last place, and I would be remiss not to mention this one, would be Revelation chapter 7. Here is the conclusion of the matter as John had his vision of heaven and the final things. And it's in this glimpse of heaven we read these words. After I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the final days, the great proclamation that glory be to God, the author and perfecter of salvation, it comes from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And so as this text and next week's text displays for us the dispersion here in Revelation, we have the great gathering and bringing back together. God cares for the peoples of this earth, the nations, the tribes, the tongues, the languages. God cares for them all. And at the end, He will bring them together, those who trust in Him by faith from all places, showing that He too cares for the nations. And that reinforces our need to think globally about family. Because if God thinks this way and acts this way and sends forth his word this way, then how much more should we be zealous about God's word and God's law to all peoples? But we've got to be careful here. We've got to be very careful because it's easy for us from a human perspective to look at peoples and and, and see how blessed they are and how much they've been given and conclude God's mercy and God's blessing must be upon them. But what we find in the largest section of our text is that earthly blessing and heavenly blessing are not the same. Look with me at the bloodline of Ham, and we find this. And if you remember from last week, Ham, um, and specifically uh, the curse was upon Canaan, um, a subset of Ham's line, but they were cursed. You will be subject to your brothers. And it was a, a subjection because of their rejection of God, the rejection of Noah ultimately as their, their priest, and not also, also not the least to say their father. But Ham was cursed because of his sin, where Shem and Japheth were blessed. And there's several things we can see in this section, if we think about the names represented, 
that show this expanded out and that show that this did come true. The first of which we need to mention um, is the name of Nimrod. Now, most of you, when you hear that name, and as you're thinking about it now, we, we use that to be someone not very clever, a Nimrod, a foolish person, someone ignorant, or even, shall I dare say, stupid. I know we don't like to use that word, but um, that would be how some see this term. However, that's not the case biblically at all. In fact, the Bible specifically says Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. I would be honored to be stated in that manner. However, we have to recognize that would not be something very kind to say of someone. Why? Because he's in the line of Ham. And so what is said of him is a reminder of his judgment, not a praise of his character. Calvin and other commentators recognize that he most likely wasn't a mighty hunter of animals. He was most likely, and this can also be translated, fierce warrior and took other nations and peoples much like one would game from the wild. It can, um, there's connotations of a savage nature to him. He was savage in his hunting and mighty and fierce in his acts. And so we need to be careful when we see him here that we don't uh, misunderstand what is being said. <laughs> and I couldn't get past it. I, I, I hesitated to put it in here. Um, if you want to know why this word is misused in today's culture, you need to go and look up Bugs Bunny and his declaration of Elmer Fudd being a Nimrod. That's where this originates. I kid you not. Go this afternoon. Go look it up. The first time it's said in modern culture is Bugs Bunny to Elmer Fudd. And that's where it got misused. It was actually the ignorance of the American people when they heard that story that we get it where it is today. But Nimrod is worth mentioning because from a worldly standpoint, when you do read this, even if you take it to he was a mighty hunter of men and a mighty conqueror of people, you might be tempted to go, well, that sounds awesome. If you need to go to war, you want Nimrod on your side. But as we just said, from a heavenly perspective, this is not praise. This is judgment. And it most likely meant he was a mighty hunter and depended upon his own works and his own righteousness and his own abilities and not God himself. And as you go through his line, you see that that is most likely the case. We also need to consider Canaan and the land of Canaan for a moment in this section. The people of Ham would possess the land later known as the promised land. It's a land rich and full of resources. And you may think about that for a moment and, and consider why would the brother cursed, would his bloodline receive the land of the richest blessing? Well, Matthew Henry states it better than I could have, so I give it to you uh, from his commentary. Those under the curse of God may yet perhaps thrive and prosper greatly in this world. For we cannot know love or hatred the blessing or the curse by what is before us, but by what is in us. The curse of God always works really and always terribly, but sometimes it is a secret curse, a curse to the very soul. It does not work immediately, but sinners are by it reserved for and bound over to a day of wrath. Canaan here had a better land than Shem or Japheth 
And yet they, Shem and Japheth, had a better lot, for they inherited the blessing of the Lord. So we need to be very careful as we look at how wealthy and established and how delightful the line of Ham appears to be in this text. For it, again, it's an act of God's wrath and not an act of his mercy. Instead, we should look and we should look longingly to Shem and Japheth, for they were said to be favored by God. And ultimately, what this will do for Canaan is this will cause them to rely upon their own ability, their own power, their own might, and to reject the God of the Bible, as did their forefather. We, see this, we saw the seeds of this in Ham uh, last week. And ultimately, we must reject this. We must reject this at all costs. And instead, we must seek God and His favor alone. Whether we are blessed richly on this earth or not, whether we are given worldly favor or not, our most important goal, our most important desire, our most important longing must be toward God. For it is in that we find blessing. And we see that in this final listing in our text. And that would be through the bloodline of Shem. He's the last one mentioned. And his line is very significant. It is important. We're going to briefly mention it today and then bring it back up, Lord willing, in two weeks as we conclude 1 through 11 with his line. Why? Because 10 generations after Noah, through Shem, you get the next great figure. His story begins in Genesis chapter 12, and that is of Abram, later to be called Abraham. And it's through Abraham, remember, we've talked a lot about covenant in this, um, this section of Scripture, that the covenant will be made, that I will make unto you a peoples, a nation, greater than the stars of the heavens, greater than the sand on the shore. Through you will my descendants come, and I will be a God to them, and they will be a people unto me. You see, in the line of Shem, that faithful remnant... The seed of the woman, or to put it differently, as we did in in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of God would continue through this bloodline. And yet, which is interesting to say it this way, but there is further blessing because even in this bloodline, they're not perfect. It would be very discouraging to all of us, or it should be, if we read this and then concluded I can't get in. There's no hope. You're giving me a list of perfect people. What does that do for me? I'm not perfect. I'm full of sin. Well, remember, one, Noah is of this bloodline. He's created a great act of sin in the previous section, his drunkenness, um, and then created even greater sin through his son. But he's in this line. Also, we'll see others in this line that are known for their sin. Terah will be known for idolatry the direct forefather of Abraham. Imperfect people, and yet this line through this group is the people of God. This should be a great relief to us because we who are in Christ, you are a part of this bloodline. You have been grafted in. You have been brought into this line. You may not have been born in naturally. You may may not be able to trace your lineage all the way back, but if you are in Christ, you are here. And one day I really do believe um, that the Lord will 
um, if the Lord does show us the family tree, we will, through scrolling, get to our name and be able to tie it all the way back. Please don't minimize what adoption means and what adoption is like in the Bible. If you've ever seen the great um, skill and art of grafting trees, it is a beautiful, very difficult process where they literally cut off of one tree and, and mar another. And by doing so, they marry the two together. And through this and through time and patience and care and love and expertise, um, all it takes is a little bit of time. And while you can tell that the new branch has been grafted in, it will produce fruit. It will grow. It will live. It will have life. And they can do some pretty remarkable things with this. If you go and look at the artistry of, of tree grafting, you will, will see remarkable uh, acts of art. That's how God treats you, dear brothers and sisters. You come into this story through this line. And the reason you do is because just like the people here, you who today are in Christ, place your hope, your trust, and your assurance in God. And unlike the other Others in these other bloodlines don't place your trust in yourself, your works, or your heritage. I want to be careful how I say this. Please don't take this negatively, but your family tree matters. It matters who your spiritual father is. Do you trust in God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Both very important to this passage and what Jesus says is the great commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. Lord willing, next week we will read about the event that sent the world into its scattered state. It actually was an act of rebellion. And even that, even that as we look ahead and we see that, that the moment that, that sends everyone out and it, it scatters them and, and creates the languages, that's a mercy of God. That's a mercy because it fills the world. God operates on a global scale. But because of the beauty of the gospel, our Heavenly Father, who keeps everything in order from a cosmic level, still truly cares about you today, individually. You as a person are just as important as the nations are to God, and He keeps them both in His hand through the love of Jesus Christ. And that is the challenge for us today as we read through this list these nations, these peoples, is to keep that global perspective and yet seek to love one another as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, this is a great calling and a heavy one. It is very easy to get wrapped up in our own world, to get wrapped up in our own season of life, our own challenges, our own struggles. And, and Lord, I pray that while that is necessary at times and, and while that is right and good for us to do, that we would not forget our brothers and sisters in Christ. We would not forget the great family to which we belong. Lord, may we look to those in the Bible, may we look to those in this world and not long for their wealth and their prosperity, not long for that which they have accomplished in their identities, but may we long for those who place their hope and trust in you no matter the cost, no matter the consequence. Some of the most heavenly people I've met upon this earth lived under bridges and had nothing. 
They lived in absolute squalor, and yet they had more joy than I will ever have this side of heaven. Why? Because there was nothing in their way between them and their love for you. Oh, that we would recognize that today. And then at the same time, may we not forget our neighbor. May we not forget our brothers and sisters. May we see this world from a global perspective, as you do. And may we long for that Revelation chapter 7 passage to be read over us and to be stated and to be celebrated. And may we join in that proclamation, Jesus Christ is Lord. We ask that you would be with us now as we continue in our time of worship. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name.